I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. I'm almost certain you have been waiting impatiently for part two of this amazing conversation with my true superhero, Edith Eger. Last episode, we spoke about true forgiveness, who the true enemy really is, ignorance, and why we should question authority. We spoke about how supporting each other during those times of uncertainty is the way we can create a better life for all of us, despite of the challenges and harshness. We spoke about feeling fully because how we feel creates our thoughts and our thoughts create our reality. I strongly believe that Edith was saved so that she saves so many of us. When she was a teenager in 1944, Edith Eger was taken to Auschwitz, where she witnessed in the first few hours her mother being taken to the gas chamber. Her actions and attitude during her stay in the concentration camp saved her sister and herself. On May 4, 1945, a young American soldier saw her hand moving slightly while buried under a pile of dead bodies. He quickly summoned medical help and brought her back from the brink of death. Today, Edith is a prolific author, a clinical psychologist, and holds a faculty appointment at the University of California, San Diego. At age 92, she continues to speak publicly and put in a lot of effort to inspire millions and millions of people. Then you take yourself, which I have to say must be the bravest thing any human has ever done. You take yourself back to Auschwitz. Yes. After all of those events. Tell me about that. It was a pivotal moment. I was asked that yesterday. And I said, when I began to work with Vietnam veterans, and I have two of them coming to see me, both paraplegic, and one of them was against, against everyone and blaming the country and why me? And the other one said to me, you know, I'm sitting in a wheelchair and I can see my children's eyes much closer and I can see the flowers. And it came to me that I'm wearing a white coat that says Dr. Eager, Department of Psychiatrists, and I'm a biggest imposter because I had a 16-year-old in me that I never shared. I kept my secret because I just wanted to be a Yankee doodle dandy, and I couldn't take them further than I have gone myself, and that's when I decided to go back to Auschwitz. I wish I could meet those two Vietnam veterans. 
I do work with PTSD, but I mostly make the dis. It's not post-traumatic stress disorder. See, we pathologize too much. I like to demythologize. There is no perfect family. There is no perfect anything. We're humans. We're fallible. We make mistakes. So I think that was the best thing I did for me. But when I asked my sister to join me, and I told her we lost our family, we never went to a funeral. I want to honor my mother, who told me in the cattle car, we don't know where we're going, we don't know what's going to happen. Just remember, no one can take away from you what you put in your own mind. And that's exactly what happened. Everything was taken away from me. And I had my mind, and I had my sister. If someone comes to see me with someone else, I know I'm going to have much more success than somebody who comes alone. I think belonging is very important for us to talk about, that we belong to the human race, we and we empower each other with our differences that you can be you, and I can be I, and we're much stronger together than me alone. But how did it feel? I mean, did you get there and immediately arrive at forgiveness? Was that, did you panic? I did not panic because I was able to think of them, that they were the prisoners, not me. Oh my God, you are amazing. Isn't it? I thought that they will have a conscience that I'm innocent and they're the ones who are going to pay for it. So I felt sorry for them to wear this uniform, carrying the gun, taking my blood. And when I asked, why do you take my blood? He said to aid the German soldiers so we can finally win the war and take over the world. I didn't yank my arm away, but I said to myself, you're a pretty stupid idiot, because <laughs> I was a ballerina, and I bet with my blood you're never going to win the war. That's why I differentiate between reacting or responding. And in your heart, this forgiveness is real. Yeah. In your heart, you actually feel they were the ones that lost. Yes, I thought that they will be the ones who are going to have to pay for the murders, for the ways that they were able to be brainwashed, that they were the ultimate prisoners. And today I say that the biggest prison is in your own mind and the key is in your pocket. And this is a good time now in COVID that you examine your life, where you came from, where are you now, and make peace with your parents. Make your peace with the part of you. And guilt is in the past. And you tell yourself, if I knew then what I know now, believe me, my parents had tickets to come to America. So you got to forgive yourself so you don't become the prisoner of the past or a hostage of the past. 
And that's what forgiveness is. Not me forgiving you. I don't have such godly power. But for me to go back to Auschwitz and reclaim my innocence and assign the shame and guilt to the perpetrator, I realize that you cannot forgive without rage. Don't medicate grief. Scream it out. But don't get addicted to anger. Some people <laughs> yes. are addicted anger. They get stuck there. You got to go through the valley of the shadow of death. Just don't set up house on that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Don't, don't make it feel too comfortable. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Don't camp there. Just go through it like in a black tunnel. You go through the tunnel looking for light. It's good to pick an arrow. And this is a good time out, like in football, to regroup where you are, and there are no crises in the world, there are only transitions, there are no problems, there are only challenges. Hmm. It's the way you think about everything. That's how it's going to feel. And that's very important to recognize that what you think, you create. What you think, you create. You create. What do you mean? If you say two words, I'm never going to find a man. Women tell me that. I'm never going to find a man. And I say, if I were a man, I would run from you. You have to be like a fireplace that the moth come to come close to you. Yeah. If you tell yourself, I am the most attractive out there, there is a man that is crazy about who I am. You're attracting that man. That's right. Fear and love does not coexist. If you think fear, you're going to have more fear. And violence breeds violence. I think it's very important to change your thinking and you can change your life. Not to become a positive thinker because none of the positive thinking does any good unless it's followed with a positive action. Otherwise, you become a gonna person. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do mm -hmm. it. Uh, and then you become a gonna person rather than make a decision, put it into action. I'm gonna have to repeat what you said. The biggest concentration camp is in your own mind, is in our own mind, is in your pocket. And so this is how. A woman like you, 16-year-old, a ballerina, going through all of those atrocities can be inside hell, but not in the concentration camp because your mind is able to see that if I survive today, tomorrow I'll see my boyfriend. Yes. And, and I can go dancing at 92. I can still walk and move on. My daughter calls it idiotism. <laughs> I say the opposite of depression is expression because what comes out of your body never makes you ill. Mm. If you have a secret, share it. What comes out, you feel better. Crying is very good. Grieving is very good. And the other is, are you revolving or are you evolving? So that's yeah, you're going why back to it. I love the butterfly. I have yes. two butterfly chairs 
uh, behind me. I like the idea of the metamorphosis, but then you have to shed the chrysalis. So give up the need for approval of other people. Give up the need to any kind of perfectionism. See, my granddaughter was a perfectionist. And I went to her school, and the teacher called her my little red caboose. You know, that's the red train. Okay. And she was a perfectionist. She would erase everything 10 million times. And she was ready to leave that class that the IQ studied at 145 because she didn't think that she qualified. And then I talked to my granddaughter about Auschwitz, that she cannot change what the teacher is going to say, but she cannot ever take it personally. And she went back to school. And then in high school, she went to the Bishop School, wonderful school in La Jolla, California, when she wrote her autobiography, the title was When the Caboose Became an Engine. Mm. And she got into Princeton. She graduated at honors. She wrote her thesis on her grandma. She got a PhD at uh, UCLA. And uh, she's now doctor, teaches at the university. Isn't it amazing how some of what we're told is so holding us back? It's good to have that arrow and we are interrupted, okay? You don't overcome, you come to terms with it, but it's never over. I remember I went to a steakhouse here and I was walking on cobblestones Immediately, I remembered when children were spitting at us as we were walking in Germany, calling us pigs and you name it. And I felt so sorry for the children that they are taught to hate. Yeah. And you know what? Later on, I worked with German families in a military hospital and a little girl comes and jumps in my lap and calls me Oma. <laughs> so you see... As you see, so don't try to run from it. Invite it in and realize that it's temporary. But when I drive sometimes, I see blocks of being uh, closed down with a barbed wire and I immediately see myself in Auschwitz. In fact, it helps me because I know that I'm not there. I'm here. I don't have to give it power. I don't have to be the hostage of the past. I claim the true me. And many times we give it up when we are children. You see, this is what's mind-blowing, Edith, because anyone who would see something that reminds them of such horror would go back to that moment. But the way you describe it is, it helps me because it reminds me that I'm here now. I'm not there anymore. That's the positive side of it. It is. That's why my book is called The Gift. That there is a gift because sometimes we don't appreciate what we have until we lose it. I do not ever throw out food. I never ever go to a restaurant and leave their people's mind what they're going to do with their food 
because if they don't eat up their food, I will take it home and or eat it. I take me out to lunch. I eat my food, and if you leave it on your plate, I either eat it or take it home. I wish I could take you out to lunch. Would you go out to lunch with me? I wish I could cook for you a good Hungarian. Oh my God! Oh my God! I will. I will cook for you. Absolutely. I'll go anywhere in the world, cook for you, clean after I cook, and rub your feet because you are the absolute gift. You are truly what this humanity needs to understand. I always ask my husband to rub my feet. I love people to mess with my feet. I am there. I am the absolute feet rubber. You can rub this. my feet. Yeah. Totally, totally, Edith. And if there is a, any, any gift this humanity should give to you, I think all of humanity should line up behind you because what you're teaching us, this is true wisdom. This is not only finding a way to survive. This is a way to thrive and take the rest of humanity with you. You know what kills me? And, you know, one of the reasons I fell totally in love with what you teach is, so I am originally an Egyptian. I was born and raised in the Middle East. And of course, as you can imagine, you're taught as a young person who the enemy is. And then through my career, of course, I worked with thousands of Jews around the world and thousands of Israelis and in all honesty, wonderful humans. In a very unusual way, suddenly you start to, like you said, question authority, question what you were told. And I believe them probably dealing with me started to go like, he's okay. You know, this guy is cool. And I find it incredible that humanity is unable to see that even though I disagree with every act of killing, every act of violence that exists in our world today, whether it's, you know, on the Middle Eastern side, in the African side, or wherever it is, I don't care. I disagree with every one of them. That doesn't make you and I not part of the same team. You and I by definition are one. You and I, by definition, are, like you said, around your mates in the camp. We were in it together. We are in it together, and the Palestinians and the Israelis are Semites. They are brothers. They are brothers. And they are brothers, and look what we do. Two brothers. We are brothers. I like to do everything my power, and I had Israeli kids, and Palestinian kids getting together. I do it here. I take the Jewish school kids to the Muslim schools and the kids hold hands and they have a project and they don't have time to blame anyone. Because kids are born with love. And joy. And joy. Yeah, if they don't condition them, they're, they're just there with love and joy. They learn to eat. Yeah. Do you create the us and them mentality? But there is a Hitler in every one of us. What do you mean? If I would have been in Germany and I would have been told that I'm going to take over the world, you see, children are very impressionable. Mm. See, my daughter in Switzerland last year realized that there was a guy there who discovered that his grandfather was a Nazi. And now my daughter and him joined and they're giving lectures. Yeah, 
because I love this. I love this they so are much. Life coaches. They are life coaches, leadership coaches, and the two are getting together. A daughter of a survivor and a grandson of a Nazi and getting together and they're lecturing actually on my book. I have to host them here. I have to hear their stories, honestly. These are the examples our world needs to hear. This is... Can I ask you a very sensitive question and please feel free to, to avoid it if you want. You constantly talk of God. Yes. If someone has gone through what you've gone through, they would question where God is. The biggest objection I always hear about the concept of God is if there was a God, Auschwitz wouldn't happen. How could God let that happen? God gave us a choice. God didn't kill my parents. People did, who were brainwashed. Don't blame God. God was with me. Many times people ask me, Orthodox Jews, where was God in Auschwitz? I say, God was with me. <laughs> That's such a beautiful statement. That's such a beautiful statement. Even though you were going through hell. And God told me that somehow everything is for my greater good. If I wouldn't have been in Auschwitz, I wouldn't talk like that because I talk what I lived. That's why I'm successful, because schoolroom was a time in my life that I got the best education, how not to ever allow anybody to murder my spirit. You are the absolute, you are the absolute gift. You truly are the gift. I'm going to ask you a very personal question. Actually, two questions that I ask people. And one is, when did your childhood end? Because, you know, I took care of my mom when I was young. And many times little boys become mommy's little men because daddy goes to war and God knows what. Or mom has migraine headaches. And so when did your childhood end? It's very important. The second question is, would you like to be married to you? <laughs> no, no way. <laughs> no way. <laughs> so you got a divorce because you didn't come to Edie Eager, who was going to tell you what you hate in other people. You need to look at that in you, that you learn to negotiate, you learn to compromise, you learn two things in marriage, give and take and tolerating differences. You said this once, which really blew me away, that someone asked you, what's your advice to young women? And you said, be independent, be free, something like that, right? Become emotionally and financially independent. That you don't need somebody. If someone says, I need you, run. <laughs> I wrote it somewhere, hold on. You said, if you can't be happy alone, you will never be happy with another. You're so good. I love everything that you do. That's why. I love this interview because you also put yourself in it. You got a divorce because you either had something what you didn't want or you wanted something what you didn't have. 
Well, I would probably want my daughter to marry someone like me. I think I'm a good man. I think on the other hand... We are all born good, but we marry people we don't know. Exactly. Just look at Romeo and Juliet. We assign to them everything that we crave for. That's exactly the point. I'm actually, interestingly, I'm posting online as we speak a small series that I call Finding Mr. Right. And the problem is, if we don't know what Mr. Right is, we imagine that there is someone out there, a, a knight in a shining armor. I tell you what you do. You write down that person that would be the ideal life partner to you. And then you become that person and the likelihood of attracting what you desire will make that happen. See? That is so true. Just write down what ideal life partner, somebody who is kind and generous and powerful. That powerful doesn't mean that you have this power, that you have inner strength. And then you become that person because what you practice, you're going to be better at what you practice. So if you practice fear, you'll have more fear. If you are against something, it's not so good as being for something. I was very suicidal when I was liberated. I wanted to die. I realized that my parents are not coming home. I didn't say what I said, what for. I didn't have any, any, anything to look forward to. And I really wanted to die. And I know that God told me, that if I die, I am a coward. But if I live, I can be for something. And that's how I am a member of the healing, not curing, healing our profession. Do you believe really that things happen for a reason, that you went through all of this so that you teach us? Yes. So I can be here today. I'm going to have 93 years and September 29th is my birthday is coming up. And I feel younger than I ever did. Because you're, because you are. But not young and foolish. I'm not smart. I hope to be wise. Oh. You're a man of strength, honey. And you may have some unfinished emotional business. And I'm offering <laughs> myself to you that you just call and we'll have a session. And that's No, no, no. I'm, I'm cooking for you and then we have a session. You, you cook in the kitchen. Yeah, that's the plan. About cooking, the ingredients that you put into it, it's how the pudding is going to taste. Absolutely. Absolutely. You were asked once if you had one wish, and you said, my wish is that nobody ever has to go through what I have gone through. That's exactly. Looking at the world today, do you think that this is our reality? Do you think that we are heading in a direction where no one would go where you were before? And if not, what can we do to make sure that this is the reality? I think you never give up hope. How do you find hope in hopelessness? Look for that sunshine, look for that light, and do what is humanly possible. That you don't sit around and complaining and uh, look at only what's wrong. And there is a lot of 
ways that now we can empower each other yeah. and form a human family. You know, I was with Martin Luther King, and I remember singing, We Shall Overcome, with the mamas and the papas at the 1963, when you were still waiting to be born somewhere. You were already singing with the mamas and the papas then? And then, because, see, love is not what you feel, is what you do. Do you have children? I do. I have two of them. You are the role model to the children, how you treat their mother. Oh, I love their mother so much. <laughs> she's wonderful. We're, we're no longer together, but she's amazing. I treat her with total love. She treats me with complete love. There is no going back. People ask me, did you love your husband? I said, when I married my husband, I was weak. I was skinny. I was hungry, and he bought me salami and Swiss cheese, and that mm -hmm. did it for me. But when I married him the second time, I married as a woman to a man. There is no going back. There is mm. only a new beginning. I'm wishing for a, a new beginning for our world. I'm wishing for our world to stand together. Did she remarry? She didn't, neither did I. We're in a very, very, I always say there are 19 ways a man and a woman can be close. One of them is not Nibel and I, and then the other 18 are still there. We're the best partners, best friends, we're very close. We raise our, uh, yeah, our child, uh, you know, I lost a child and child stayed to, to make life celebration for us. And- uh, Let me tell you, mm -hmm. it's not about lost and found. Mm -hmm. How old was the child when the child died? Ali left us when he was 21 and a half. Okay, so God sent the Spirit to you. Totally. For totally. 20 years. Totally, you're spot on. Your job is to celebrate the 21 years. I swear to you, that's exactly what I tell the world. I tell the world that the truth is Ali didn't die when he was 21. I never had a guarantee, you know, from life that he was going to come in the first place. The fact that he came and blessed me with 21 and a half years is the gift. It's not taking him away at 21 and a half. I, I was blessed. You went home. The spirit was sent to you for 21 years and he was going home. You didn't lose him. Mm. He gifted you, God gifted you with the spirit that was sent to you. That is totally true. Totally it's true. beautiful that you can really practice the celebration totally of every birthday, so every little moment that you had, but you don't lose someone. Life is not about losing anyone is celebrating yeah. and no one can take that away from you. I think it's beautiful to think about life is not about losing, it's about getting in the first place because we come to life with zero. And so everything that we get in life is something we get, right? It's above zero. One with the blank piece of paper in yeah. Latin called tabula rasa, 
and then we write on it. We write on it whether I want to become a winner or a loser because we can be our own worst enemy. We can self-sabotage. Yeah. My final question for you today was going to be about growing up being told that someone else is the enemy. Who really is the enemy? And I think you answered it many times today. The real enemy is my mind. If I can manage that mind to see the world for what it really is with the gratefulness that life is life, it is here, it is now, and I can enjoy it, then that enemy is gone. That's the biggest enemy. The more choices you have, the less you're ever going to feel like a victim. I am not a victim. It's not my identity. It's what was done to me. And that way, I think that forgiveness is a gift that you give to you. I can only say one more time, Edith, you're the most attractive woman on the planet. And I love you so dearly, so dearly. I am grateful for the gift that you are, for the story that you tell. And you truly have changed my life, and I'm sure you're going to keep changing the lives of hundreds of thousands of people every day. And I do want to thank Ireland that my book became the bestseller. And when I was in Ireland, I received more love, more hugs, and more dancing. <laughs> yes. More dancing. That was brilliantly done. So, yes. I am so happy that you and I had this time together. And I am too. And I'm telling everyone here if you have not read The Gift uh, and The Choice, you absolutely have to read them. These are must, must read components in your life. And uh, I would recommend you do what I did watch every single video. Edith has ever had on YouTube. I mean, like seriously, there is not a single one where I don't gasp consistently and just fall in love. I think it's a, it's a simple view of life that is the result of all of the experiences that life can throw at one human. Edith, you truly are the gift. I'm really, really grateful. Just keep, keep walking, keep moving, keep remember evolving, not revolving. And who knows, who knows uh, how the future is going to give you the gift of life that you can truly never ever blame, especially not yourself, because self-love is self-care. It's not narcissistic. You know, there was a Jewish boy called Jesus, and that Jewish boy became a prophet and he told us to love thy neighbor as thyself. Because I love that. If you love you, you're not going to love anybody else. So I hope you're a good role model to the children because children don't do what we say. They, they do. do what we do. Yeah, yeah. And they do what you do, not what you say you do. Thank you for your tears, your sensitivity. It's one of my most meaningful interviews I ever had in my whole life. Oh my God. And I have a very special place in my heart for you.
and a special place in my kitchen for me to cook for you one day. Beautiful. I'm taking you out, Edith. Everyone heard it. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh my God, that was amazing. Before you go, what can I say? Please play your part. Share this with others. Rate it five stars on your podcast player. Tell others what you learned. Find me on social media. I'm mo underscore gaudet on Instagram, mo.gaudet.personal on Facebook, mgaudet on Twitter, and mogaudet on LinkedIn. Tell me what you think of this podcast and how I can make it better. Share with me your impressions and emotions about this last conversation and every other conversation. And tag me when you tell others to come and listen to slow-mo. And by the way, thank you so much for giving me the alibi to have so many wonderful conversations with so many amazing people. I love you all for listening. I'll see you next time.